your Bible, let's uh, look at uh, the doctor's gospel. That's uh, Dr. Luke, Luke's gospel, chapter uh, 13, uh, verses uh, 22 to 30. As uh, I've entitled the message, The Wrong Question. The Wrong Question. You know, sometimes we, uh, we hear that there's no such thing as a dumb question. How many of you have heard that? You know, we, we understand really what that means because uh, as, a, as a teacher or as a parent, you, uh, you'll kind of want to know what uh, your kids or your students are thinking. If you have no idea, because uh, you can be fooled, right? You can be fooled. They're looking right at you. They're smiling, just like Michael. Michael's got that nice smile. But, uh, you know, he could be thinking of the Buffalo Bills right now. But, I, you don't, you know. but if he rate, you're not? They did good in the draft. Yeah, I said, anyway. Uh, you, you know, and so until someone goes like, Hey, I got a question. I got a question. What's the question? When's lunch? No, no, it's not what we're talking about. You know, I, you don't know where they are, and so it gives you some feedback. And so we, to to foster that, we'll we'll say, well, you know, there's really no such thing as a dumb question. But you know, it's really not true. It really is not true. There really are some dumb questions. I hate to ruin your day, and uh, you know, like there goes my self-image. Oh no, you know. But there really are. There really are some dumb questions. I know. How do you say, how do you know? I have asked a whole bunch of them. Dumb. You know, you ever ask something and you wish you had your words back? You know, your words are like your time. Once you spend them, they're gone. Have you ever figured that out? You don't get yesterday back again. Well, can I have a redo on that? You know, redo. Some of you guys do that in golf, right? Redo. I get another hit. I've seen a guy do three or four right off the tee. I don't know what a scorecard looks like or how he marks redo on that. You know, a mulligan, never, I've heard a lot about him, but I don't, never met the guy. But redo, you know, and your words are like that. You know, you ever let them fly and go like, whoa, I wish I could, oh, I wish I could have that back again. You don't get a redo on that. And uh, questions are like that. And I've asked a, a bunch of dumb ones. I can remember an esteemed professor in seminary, he was about, I asked the stupidest question in front of about 150 students. Holy cow. And you know what? It was a late afternoon day, and he just came at me. And I, I deserved it, really. I did. <laughs> a smart aleck, little cow. To waste the time to answer this thing with, uh, you know, all those students there in the lecture hall. And that was a dumb question. I asked it. I say they're a dumb question because I asked it. And you know what? I've been a teacher and a professor, and I, I, I know they're a dumb question because I've heard them. And I'm thinking like, oh, man, that, well, is there a question behind the question? May, I want to be gentle here, but uh, sometimes they'll ask questions to get you off, the, off track, right? And they try to do that. Well, let's see if we can get them off track today so that he doesn't cover the material, so there's less for the exam. I know that students don't think like that. Yeah, right. Well, you just tell me, you got the syllabus, we didn't get to it, it's all game. In fact, read the 10 chapters, that's all game too. Right, you guys know. Yeah, you know how that works. Yeah, Dave, you know how that works. <laughs> that's, uh, that's it. Well, um, uh, take, uh, take uh, the example of the disciples. I mean, they're a, they're a good biblical case of there are some questions that are dumb. Now, the disciples often seem to be in a fog. Have you, have you noticed that? They're following the Lord of glory around, the Creator, veiled in human flesh. 
He's teaching, he's healing, he's preaching, he's feeding the thousands, he's walking on water, he's calming, calming the seas and, and all of that kind of thing. And they sort of seem like dimwit. They're sort of like, you know, the lights are on, but really, is anybody there? You know, so they're not getting it. They're really not getting it. The Lord is, uh, at one point in the Gospels, he's talking about now the Son of Man's going to have to, to suffer uh, by the religious leaders. He's going to be beaten and bruised. He's going to be murdered. He's going to be hung on the cross. And he's going to be put to death and ri- raised the third day. Have you ever noticed their question? They're like this. Like this, right? And they go like, yes. Uh, yeah, we, we've heard that before, Lord. Uh, who's going to be greatest in your kingdom? Really? Really? I mean, is that your response to my bearing my heart of what's coming? Who's going to be greatest? Now, is that a dumb question? Talk about insensitivity. Have you ever asked a question showing your insensitive heart? They did. There it is. That's why we love them, because there we are. We're in the picture here. Wow. The insensitivity, poor timing, that's a dumb question. Well, Jesus, in our text, is on his last journey going to Jerusalem. We saw it turn in in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 51. And from that point, the whole Gospel pivots. He is now headed toward Jerusalem for his very last time. He's going to enter into his high priestly work. Uh, He is going to uh, offer himself. He is going to be the high priest. He's going to offer, and it's going to be his own self there at Calvary's cross for the sin of the world, as, the, as John says in his gospel. And, uh, uh, and on the way, he has asked another question. <laughs> and it's recorded in the scriptures here. And I call it the wrong question. It may or may not be. The Lord never does answer it, so by that, I would say it's the wrong question. He turns the question to make a very pointed uh, response to those that are listening to him. And uh, we're going to see in our text five lessons as we listen to Jesus warn of the huge danger of missing, huge danger of missing the narrow door. Now this is God, uh, God in glory. This is the Lord speaking I'm simply the delivery man. This is one of the harder sayings of Jesus, some call it that. But um, uh, we're going to see him essentially uh, provide a warning. And we're going to listen to it, him warn of the huge danger of missing the narrow door. This, This warning, I submit to you, is especially needed today as it confronts the the pervasive pluralism of our day. I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, if there, is a, if there is a value in our culture, it's um, it, uh, it, at least if there are one or two of them, to be tolerable is one of them. Tolerance. I mean, after all, you just kind of, you just be accepting of all things and all people and, and agree that we all could be right. Isn't that, let's hug. Isn't that great? Let's hug. It's not live and let live. It's live and agree with me that I, I could be as right as you could be right. It's more than that, you see, in this pluralism day. And the sign of a highly educated man or woman is that he knows absolutely nothing for sure, and we could all be right. You know, isn't it great? And, uh, you know, there, there's an effect where there's a dumbing down of culture and thinking. Uh, there are some cultures that are more depraved than others. Do you know that? It's true. 
the effects of uh, sin in a, in a people, and it makes people think uh, clouded. Uh, they, the Bible says evil men do not understand justice. Proverbs says that. And uh, there's a clouding that place. There's a dumbing down and almost to the irreducible minimum. Uh, now we hold all people to be made in God's image and all people, even the unborn, are of infinite value and worth because of that. But that doesn't mean all ideas are equal. There are some that are terrible ideas. And ideas have consequences. We saw that with the Third Reich. I was simply carrying out Nitschke's uh, philosophy that might is right, and because I can kill you, that, uh, that must be okay, and weakness will crush it. The Third Reich, it was the foundation of that. They exterminated millions and millions of people. Ideas have consequences. Not all ideas are equal, and we live in this idea that has lost its way. The people that forget God will be cast into the sea, the Bible says. Read your history book. It's, it's filled with a litany of nations that rose and fell and rose and fell. We live in the idea, well, we'll just go on. We're Americans, and we're entitled, and we're privileged, and it'll just always be this way. And it's a sort of, oh, really? Oh, really? Read your history book. Read your Bible. You'll discover that's not so. You go to Babylon today, Babylon the Great, oh, the Great. <laughs> We've been there with our military. Baghdad, they can't even find ancient Babylon. Now they found the ancient site, but for years, Napoleon's army there at one point marched right over, so I can't find it. It was buried in sand, the outer ruins of Babylon, that Babylon the Great. Well, we need uh, the Lord's warning uh, on this uh, because of the pervasive pluralism of our times, so that you think biblically, that you think in, with exactness and that your, your ideas are couched in the Word of God, right? You see, our world says all roads lead to heavens. All religions are the same. They are. That's what the world says in the comparative study. And there are even some men who have had high profile, even in our day, that uh, seem to be evangelical and biblical in their thinking and are moving fast in the wrong direction. And they're publishing books. And I'll name one, Rob, Rob Bell. I don't know where in the world he is, but his latest book is, is A Denial of Hell. Now, that was a man who preached to thousands in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and now he's, uh, he's left his church. He's only, I guess he's in his later 40s. He's out in Los Angeles now, going to do something else, but his latest book is, latest book, Oh, Really? Hell? Oh, Really? Oh, Really? Forever Lost? What happened there? I can't explain it. But there's intense pressure against saying, this is the way. And listen, we're, I'm simply the delivery guy. I've said it a thousand times. I don't make the message. God said there were three doors to heaven. I'd be preaching three doors to heaven. But uh, I have to give a, uh, an accounting for my delivery and preaching the whole word. Preach the word. Be instant, in season and out, when it's popular and when it's not. And that's what you and I are to do. We're, you know, the, really, what, uh, what we are to do as a church is, as pastor, uh, in, in days gone by, as a pastor would preach, or as I would preach to you weekly, then you take that message with you and scatter that and repeat it in large ways and small to your spheres of influence and to your circles of family and neighbors and friends and big ways and little ways. And, and uh, that's how the gospel gets saturated in an area. And, uh, and dads, really, you're the pastors in your home. 
And a, a pastor's job really is to help equip dads to be the shepherds in their home that they ought to be. And it's needed. Well, what are, the, what, are the, what's, what are these five lessons that I've called? In essence, Jesus is going to ask, will you make it through the one and only door while you still have time? Now, if you got that and all its nuance, you can go, because that's really what he's going to ask. That's what, really what he's going to ask by way of answering. Will you make it through the one and only door while you still have time? And have you noticed how fast time is? Going, going, and almost what? Gone. It is. And the man knows not his time. I was talking to my son about that this week. He's doing some long-term planning, and sometimes uh, we can be so far out there in our plans that we're not living today to the fullness. And, and I just felt David was trying to do that uh, a bit. It's great to have long-term plans. A lot of people don't even think about it. But he's, I felt he was so far out there that he was sacrificing today. And I said, David, today's a gift. Today's the only day you have. You've got to live it to the fullest. Read Ecclesiastes. Enjoy your life, even while you work hard and plan and enjoy your wife. Eat and drink and, and enjoy life. Don't be so far out here. Because I said, tomorrow, God forbid, it happened. You could step off a curb and get hit by a bus. It happens. And then he'll never, you're spending all that time burning up today because of out there. Now, it's good to have plans. It's good to have that out there, but don't let it consume today. And so uh, time goes fast. So will you make it through the one and only door while you still have time? The door is narrow, and it's only open for a short time. Well, the first lesson uh, is be amazed. Jesus has been on this journey from eternity past. Uh, let's read our text in chapter 13, verse 22. Uh, to uh, verse 30. Now that's he, that's Jesus, went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? There's the question. And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you came from. Then you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last." Well, the first lesson is be amazed. Jesus tells us, be amazed. And I say be amazed because Jesus has been on this journey from eternity past. From eternity past, it was God's plan to provide for salvation. Um, from eternity past, God has always known he was going to do this. In a certain point in time, the Son of God was born, born of the Virgin Mary, born in Bethlehem, and we celebrate that at Christmas. That was uh, 
That was planned from eternity past. Now that blows our mind when we think about it. We just came here, we just got off the, the boat, we came home from the hospital in the years past, we've been here a number of decades or less, few of us more, and uh, we like, well, how did eternity past in the mind of God, in the eternal counsel and decree of God, Ephesians 1, this has always been the plan of God, uh, that the Lord should come, that he should minister, public ministry, and at a certain point, begin to make his way toward Jerusalem. Do you see what I mean? From eternity past, he's always been on this journey. That is the Lord Jesus. Step back and look at it. There's only plan A with God. There's not plan B. We do that. We have plan B, C, D. Well, now if this doesn't work, then I got this. And if that doesn't work, I got a cousin named Vinny. And if this doesn't work, then, you know, we got all these, all these, uh, well, you know, and, and we know that because we're so puny, small, and frail, and we don't know what's going to happen the next moment. And uh, so many things are beyond us. Uh, we, and yet it's good to have a plan. We're, we're never like, more like God than when we plan. Because God has a plan that's all-encompassing. God wants us to plan. It's wise men and women have a plan. But we don't know the variables. And we're, we're not able to do much. And not God, though. And so notice when he begins to, uh, and this is a uh, traveling uh, 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 note, uh, he's making his way through Galilee, the villages and the towns, and, and Jesus is teaching. When that that had been something to be there and Jesus came to town. When that's something, Jesus coming to town. Would that be better than the president visiting? I remember JFK visited our, our city, and i uh, dating myself, but he rode by in an open Cadillac, and, uh, and Mrs. Kennedy right next to him, and we barely, I think I see him, Dad, right through. The whole city was out. It was a great day. I thought they were going to declare a city holiday, you know, <laughs> forever and ever, right? He came we saw him, and so on. Wouldn't it be great to have been there? If I said next week, Jesus is coming, and he's going to teach us the Word, wouldn't, wouldn't that be something? And that's, that's what it was in that excited as he began to move towards his appointment with destiny. But, you know, one thing I noticed in this text is as Jesus is moving towards his appointment with destiny, namely the cross, he is preaching more and more to people about their eternal destiny. I mean, we saw it, just glance at the beginning of chapter 13, the chapter we're in, he says to them twice, the message of these disasters are repent, he calls them to repent or you will perish. He says it again, repent or you will perish. You see it in verse 3, and he says it again in the, in, in the verse that follows, and, uh, and so on. Well, there's only plan A with the Lord. He's right on schedule. He's moving towards his destiny with uh, death in the holy city. God's plan includes all, all things. This is God's plan, and aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad that God has a plan? I mean, when, when stuff happens, you go like, Lord, what is this? I wasn't thinking of that. But then don't we take comfort in Romans 8.28, for we know that all things, all things work together for good to them that love God. To them that are the called according to his purpose. I'll tell you, it's, that is the pill that God's sweet sovereignty and his plan that lets you put your head down at night and it will allow you sleep when you're, you can't sleep, uh, when you come face to face with life so often, right? That he's in charge and I'm not. 
And in, in the closing days of his work, he's urgently calling people to the gospel. While on the journey, Jesus is asked the question, are only a few going to be saved? Only a few. You know, we wonder that. Today in America, there's an afterburn of the gospel. You know, the gospel heralded uh, uh, in previous generations, and there seemed to be greater influence of the church and community. And it didn't matter what stripe you were, there was a, a, an embracing of the gospel. Uh, it, it, again, and we see uh, the great warfare that's going on, spiritual warfare in this land, and we go like, we live in a pagan land. This is no longer Christianized. It doesn't have the Christian influence. We like, and we wonder the same. Are only a few going to be saved? Where's the power of the gospel? And we may wonder the same thing, you know, as we share a track or we talk to folks about their need of Christ, you know, wondering, are only a few. Now, this is not how he meant it, though. You know, the Jews in that day, in, in that day, believed that all Jews would be saved. And the whole world, all these people, only the few, unless they were just really, really terrible sinners, then they would be excluded. Maybe a few Gentiles, not too many. And so just a few. So it was a prideful question. It, only a few, few of us kind of thing is kind of the intent here that uh, this man is asking. That's why I'm submitting to you that it's a... It's a dumb question. It's a, wrong, it's a prideful question, and the Lord will not let it stand. He's going to turn it on its head when he answers. Uh, and he's going to turn from this academic, prideful answer type thing to making it personal and practical. Don't you love that? You love, it, you love teaching of, uh, of the Word when it's practical. It has to be doctrinal. Or that's, that's the anchor, and doctrine is practical, but he's going to turn this thing, this question around, not really answer it, and he's going to uh, make it personal and practical. And so I say, be amazed. We're watching Jesus on the journey that was established from eternity past. Second, second lesson as we listen to Jesus warn, be warned specifically. Be warned. Verse 24, Jesus warns of the difficulty in entering the narrow hallway. Verse 24, the Lord says, strive, agonizma, it's a word agony, we get the word agony in English, it's an athletic word, it's the struggle, it's the intense exertion, um, it reminded me of uh, years playing football where uh, they used to have the drill where you hit the sled, some of you guys know what that is, the, the assistant coach would be on a sled barking out, hike, and you had to go and hit the uh, the uh, the blocking uh, uh, sled, three of them, they had three men, and they had five men, and they had to drive that, you had to grind in and exert and push from the back of your legs all the way through and drive. Do it again. Do it again. Exertion. It's the it's a running back running through what was a hole, and now all of a sudden closed. He's straining. It's a word that Paul uses in Philippians. Uh, what he does is strain ahead, forgetting the things which are behind. I press toward. It's the straining. That's, uh, that's what he is saying here. Uh, this striving uh, it, to enter the, the narrow door. Why, 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 why must we do that? Uh, what's he talking about? How's it? Well, uh, he's calling us to this because it's so easy to miss. And there's so many doors. 
I like Riken in his writings where he talks about, you know, today there are a thousand, I mean, get this, a thousand organized religions. I don't like the word religion, but in America, in America, a thousand. Each have their own definition of God, their own theology, purpose of life, meaning, value of people, and all that kind of thing. Lesser, and all that. A thousand. And he said, imagine it like a long hallway. Now think of one of those academic buildings, right? Where the, the long hallway, I remember standing at Edinburgh University in Edinburgh, Scotland, where my professor graduated, I wanted to see that, and it was like this old Gothic. I opened the doorway and looked all the way down, and there's all these doorways going off the side. I mean, it must have been, it wasn't 100 yards, but it seemed like that. I remember poking my head in there and thinking, oh, macaroni, which door? And that's what Riken imagines. Imagine uh, uh, in America, there are a long hallway or corridor, and there are a thousand doors and each one is a doorway to one of these religions. That's what we have in America. And he said, now imagine on, on a hallway like that, there's only one doorway that leads to life. That's the picture that Jesus is painting here. That's the picture. The 999, you open the door and go through that, and they're all religious. They're not like we're pagans and are here. No. They're all promising something. And Jesus said, there's only one. 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 It's easy to miss. Be careful. Be warned. That's what he's saying. Be warned. It's difficult entering. The word strive points to the great effort needed to press in. It doesn't mean that we're saved by our own efforts. Never. We know that. It's all by grace. Well, what's he mean by that then? Uh, he means that we are to strive to keep understanding the gospel. Keep understanding. Listen, a lot of times we're fond of saying the gospel, the simple gospel. And I know what uh, we mean by that. And it is simple, so much so that when God opens the heart of a young boy or girl, they can get it right and be wonderfully saved and respond. And by that we go like, it's the simple gospel where, where the, the power of the Spirit of God through the Word of God opens a dead boy's heart or a dead girl's heart. And they, they come to recognize, they're, I am a sinner. I am lost. I'm under God's judgment. I've broken the law. And they see the love of God at Christ. Like Christ died to pay for their sin. And God opens their heart. And there's repentance and faith and, and, and confession. Well, listen, don't, don't, think, don't think that the gospel is, is simple through and through just because God can open the heart of a young child, and he can and does, and I'm an example of that, and some of you are. It is utterly profound. It is the great statement of the wisdom of the ages. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 11. He's praising God for the wisdom, not in creation, and we look at it, particularly this time of year, and we go like, oh, it's so beautiful. You know, our neighbors had all these, what are they, cherry trees there? Mature cherry trees hanging over their road that goes, the lane that goes up to their house. And uh, we always look every spring for it to come out all pink. And when it's full, we drive by and take pictures. You know, I mean, there's probably, what, 20 trees on each side? And, hang and uh, we just happened, Faith came by, and she said, uh, oh, you got to see it. It's letting go of the petals. And the petal, it's like a bride, a bride in all her glory, and then the petals are coming down. And she said, it's, it lays on the lane. 
and uh, you got some of the tree, and it, it's like a blanket of pink petals. And I couldn't wait to get over there. I, oh, I hope it doesn't rain. And, and I got over there next day. I'm taking pictures, you know, trying, to be in, trying to be discreet, you know, off the road. Right? This suit the, beautiful. You go, and we're like, God, and I, I say, go like, look at what God has done. It's amazing. And we do that when we look at creation. But God is saying the most amazing thing and display of God's wisdom is not his creation in all its glory and all its beauty. And it is. But it's in the redemptive plan of the ages. And how God should be able to do that without offending his holiness and providing the only way of escape. Oh, the wisdom of God. That's what Paul ends up in doxology in Romans, the end of chapter 11, praising God uh, for what he alone has done. And so what do we do by this striving? Keep studying the gospel. Keep reading your Bible. Keep applying effort to listening to sermons and teaching and books on the gospel until you believe in Jesus, until God opens your heart. That's why it was common in another generation to have Gospels of John. I still think if you're going to give one little book out of the Bible, it has limited value. But the Gospel of John is glorious because it's written that people might believe that Jesus is is the Son of God. And believing you'd be saved. And so they give out, here's a copy of of John's Gospel, and you pass them out. And what a great thing to give people. Keep reading it. Read it again. And God will speak through the Spirit of God through the pages and open many of their hearts. The Word of God is powerful, quick and powerful than any two-edged sword, and it will produce life. And that's what he's saying here. Keep pressing. I remember uh, Jonathan Edwards writing about his dear wife, godly woman Sarah, and how she went through periods of time uh, in, in their marriage where she called it, you know, went weeks and weeks, pressing into the kingdom. And, uh, and it shows how cheap it is today where people will present the gospel and someone scratches their head and say, well, you're in and you're in and you're in. You don't know that they're in. You see, as much as we love to see people saved, we want to see the world saved. You don't know that. Pressing in, arduous, straining, reading, praying, Lord, show me if this is true that I might see Jesus. Wow, that's what, it, that's what he's talking about here. There's all these doors, and Jesus is saying, look, you can easily uh, go through the wrong one. You must enter on God's terms. Rather than saying, and and B, uh, you can't miss it, Jesus tells us that we can miss it very easily. That is the right door, the only door. If we do not work hard to find it, we'll miss it in its entirety. You'll miss it. You can't miss it. You ever, you ever, (laughs) you ever, you know, I always laugh when um, you stop and you'll ask directions, maybe with the garments. Those garments are great, aren't they? Sometimes they goof up. Sometimes, sometimes uh, even uh, MapQuest takes you to the wrong end of the block for our house, right there. People say, like, I was down at your neighbor's there. It, somebody goofed up there. But Garmin's great. But the days prior, and still today, we'll stop and we'll ask complete strangers. I mean, people that could be out of their mind. They could be like nutcases, right? Manic, depressive, you know. They could be like murderers. And we go like, hey, how do I get here? And, and they're drawing directions. And, you go like, and then they'll say, and there's a McDonald's, and you can't miss it. Oh, really? Yeah. And we go like, yeah, he said it. We take it. We just, <laughs> it 
It's just so funny how we are that way. Complete strength. And the guy could be just on the ground rolling laughing. That guy's going to be lost forever with what I just told him. You know, like, oh, no, I'm telling faith. No, he told me. Turn right, then left, then right, then right, then left. <laughs> Can't miss it. Well, Jesus is just the opposite here. He's in this whole thing in warning. He's saying, listen, you can easily miss it. Beware. Be careful. It's narrow. It's narrow. You know, people often complain that Christianity is a narrow religion. You ever hear that? You know, the answer is, in this way, you yourself. That's true. It is. Just, just agree with them. You know, it's the most exclusive of all. But it's the most inclusive as well. It's exclusive because there's one door and one way, and God defines the way that you approach his house. Do you know that? God defines the way? Now think of it in a different matter. Someone's going to come to your house, right? And they're standing out front. you got one sidewalk going up front door, and you go like, yeah, you know, and you kind of get your, you know, you're waiting for them. You're going to get a pizza or something. And they're out in the sidewalk going like, hey, you know, I don't like that door there. Do you have any other doors? What? Yeah, yeah I don't like that one. You know, like, uh, you, got, you got one, another front, uh, one on the side there, like, what do you, what's wrong with you? <laughs> that's the only door. And God says, that's the door. And say, Satan's the great confuser, the great divider. He liked to blind the minds of people that they just march right to the lake of fire. One door. One door. God defines it. He is the definer of it, and he has said it in the only word he ever gave, his word. That's it. It is a narrow religion. Did you notice truth is narrow? Truth is narrow. If something's right or wrong. I know we live in a mushy, can't, don't you grade on a curve? Uh, aren't we pitching horseshoes? Can't I be close? No, you're either right or wrong. That's why the hard sciences... We don't do so well. We like all the social sciences. We just kind of like to hug and, and emote and all that. You mean, you mean i got to be right, plus or minus? Yes. You mean it's got to be exacting? Yes. Can it be close? Yeah, but you'll do remedial. We'll see you in the fall again. <laughs> right? Summer school. Those are words that terrify little boys. <laughs> Summer school. What? They have school in the summer? Oh, what do I have to do to avoid that? <laughs> At all costs. <laughs> but, you know, like, numbers are like that, though, right? They're like that. You know, you want, you want to tell people like that, don't ever make change for me. You know, can I be close? No, you got to be right. <laughs> can, I give, can I short you $10 in that change? No, it's exact. Truth is, truth is like that. And it's a great ploy. Think of it. If you were Satan, uh, what, a, what a great way to just uh, dupe and deceive a mass of people, right? Just make a lot of isms and, and people sort of feel religious and all that and just, kind of, you know, and blind their hearts so they never find the door. And that's what he's up to. And that's what Jesus is warning about here and, uh, and so on. Jesus tells us that only one door, one narrow door leads to eternal life. Every other door leads to destruction. Not my idea. Don't be mad at me. I'm the delivery guy. The reason for this, and I'll tell you this, is only Jesus has done what needed to be done. Only Jesus gave his life. Jesus is the only way. He is the only door to heaven. 
John 10.9, John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And our culture hates that. They can't there be 10, and aren't they all the same? And this mushy, goofy, no, they're not the same. I love when Paul starts talking, he's done studies of different world religions. <laughs> That's, you know, people will say that because they heard those kind of statements, like, oh, they're all essentially the same. And people say that to you and go like, oh, really? Let's talk about it. They have no idea. They've not, they've not studied it. Somebody told them that. And Paul, I know you press them at certain points and show they're completely opposite. Listen, Mohammed is dead. He is gone. Only Jesus came back from the grave, declared Son of God with power. Only Jesus validated everything he ever said and did. He is the only way. That is the teaching of God's Word. That's it. Number three, third lesson, be horrified. Verses 24b to 27, be horrified. Jesus tells of many uh, who will be too late. The opportunity to enter the door of salvation is now, Jesus is saying. Now. Soon, Jesus will shut the door. Salvation in Christ has a limited time offer. Did you know that? Some of you are couponers. And they're like, oh, i got to get down there before, you know, uh, before it expires. Limited time offer. Salvation. And uh, it's hard to find, and the door is closing, and will close soon, and Jesus will shut the door. That's one of the great uh, uh, mysteries, not really, the Bible tells us the answer, but when uh, the, God judged the entire world and destroyed in a universal deluge, it wasn't some little, little flood, I don't make minor of the Johnstown flood and the flooding there, that was a terrible thing, but it was, it was biblical by, by comparison. I mean, it was universal in scope. The highest mountains were covered by 15 cubits. And everything was that except what was saved in the ark, the box. The ark is a floating box. It was enormous. It was football field long and, and the proportions and the three. And they all got in there. When God said it took a long time to build the thing, 120 years. And eight people were saved. And the text says in Genesis 7 that God closed the door. God closed the door. And that's the same thing, the door of salvation uh, in Jesus. The Lord will shut the door. He is the one. There were only eight saved in that day. And all the humanity flowed from uh, Noah's family and his three sons and their wives. Look at the account in verse 24 as we reread it again, 24b. Uh, Strive to enter in through the narrow gate for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. When once the master, he's referring to himself here, of the house is risen and shut the door. And you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us and I will answer you. I do not know where you come from. And then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But uh, he will say, he himself, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Well, many will try to enter the kingdom knocking, crying out, but will not be able to. They're on the outside looking in. That's the picture. Their day is over. The door is closed. There's no reconsideration whatsoever. Shut out forever. 
Now, here's the amazing thing with this, and maybe you noted it already, is that the people here that are shut out are people that thought they were in. They thought they were in. They were the Jews. If any, we're God's people. We're God's children. It's just carte blanche, and therefore, uh, I'm, uh, I have a seat already reserved there. They thought they were in. And they thought they were in, why? By a mere association with Jesus. I mean, they, uh, they, they, uh, they sat and they listened to him teach. Some of them ate at his table. They, they lounged and ate together. Uh, they had a social association or acquaintance with him. But I'm reminded it's never enough. Never. Never enough. Jesus requires repentance and obedience. We saw that beginning of chapter 13. And, uh, and uh, it's not enough simply to sit in the audience and listen to him. You must move out and personally and practically trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from your sin. That's for all people everywhere. They were highly privileged. Well, wow. And you think of the scope of humanity to be of that elite group that we actually heard Jesus teach. I've tried to hear different preachers in my day, different expositors of the Word, and the Lord's allowed me to hear a number of outstanding men. I call some silver-tongued orators. Tremendous preachers of the word, and I've had some as my as my professors and teachers and pastors. And I go like, wow, I got to hear him. All oh, we miss his preaching, his exposition. Oh, it was so. Haddon Robinson and his wonderful preaching. Uh, Ernie Pickering, Rembert Carter, uh, even John Whitcomb and his preaching, holding his Bible up. But to have been in the elite group that. Oh, yeah, we were there, and we heard Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. I'd take my Bible. Lord, would you sign my Bible? You know, there used to be pastors would sign the front of I was there. I, we were there. They were there, but that's not enough just to have a ticket there. You can't just... There are a lot of people sitting in churches today that aren't clear on this. They have a lot of association with Jesus. They may even be teaching in a class, and they're in the choir, or they're in the pews, and they, they show up, and they're sort of born into it, and they're this, uh, oh, isn't it a nice little homily, you know, and, and they, a lot of association, but never personally and practically, Lord, I am a sinner, I am lost, and I receive you as my Savior. That's what makes a Christian. And these folks had never done that, and the Lord is talking to them directly, warning them, that they're lost. That's why these folks are shocked. They're, they're, they're like shocked. While they're standing outside, they're calling him Lord. Did you see that in verse 25? Lord. It reminds us of Matthew 7. Jesus in a similar setting said, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God. They're calling him Lord. A little late. We ate meals with you. We listened to your teaching. Association with you. Not enough. Requires repentance and obedience. That is, the obedience to the command to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells them, do you notice, twice, two times in a few verses, I don't know where you came from. Now, don't, he's saying, I don't know you. They're saying, well, we sat and listened to you teach in, in the cities and villages of Galilee. We ate with you at, you know, at maybe we were at Bethany, maybe we were over at Capernaum or Nazareth or one of these. And the Lord's saying, I don't know you. I don't recognize you. I don't know. He's not, and he's, he's God. He's not saying, you know, he, he knows. He knows everything about them, but 
He doesn't know them in a salvific sense, in a salvation sense. He doesn't. They're lost. They're outside. Yet they thought they were in. And they're not in. I don't know you. Wow, depart from me, you workers of evil. Could anything be worse than those words? I don't think so. Depart from me. The God of glory tells you. I mean, sometimes uh, people have said things to me and to you. You're like, whoa. Well, that blew me away, right? Uh, it depends who it is that's saying it. If it's your boss or a lover or something like that, or a child, you know, and it's our hard words, they hit hard, right? How about the Lord of glory going like, depart? Oh, that's what's going on here. Wow. Again, those who fully expected to be welcome in the kingdom are out. They're not, they're not those that are atheists or pagan. They're religious. Salvation in Christ has a limited time offer. They're yelling outside. They're out. Lord, Lord. And they're not getting in. Depart from me. I say be horrified. Number, number four, be afraid. As Jesus uh, tells of the terribleness of hell, verse 28, he just gives a, just a, a, a little glimpse of it. In that place, just stop there, hell is a place. Well, here's the Lord of glory, here's truth, Alethea himself, in that place. It's a place. It's not on earth. So you'll say, yeah, hell's on earth. I go, oh, oh, oh no. We saw that at men's fraternity the other Wednesday night. We, some, that's a great door opener. When someone, we're coming into the summer, and people will go like, oh, it's hot as hell. Just say, oh, that's an open door. You know, we're looking for little open doors to the gospel. Just walk right through that one. Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, it's a place. It's a place. In that place, uh, there will be weeping. And gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom, but you yourselves are cast out. Listen, nobody taught more about hell than Jesus. Nobody could teach more about the lake of fire and hell than Jesus. He's the creator God. And you, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just know, do it your own study on those four Gospels, and all the teachings, a lot of it's figurative language trying to describe the utter horror and terror of this eternal place of judgment. It's a horrible place. Not a place you want to be. Not a place you want your loved ones to be. In hell there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's that mean? Well, the deepest grief will be expressed by weeping. One of the hardest things, isn't it, when, when, when uh, bad stuff happens and people cry uncontrollably. Have you seen that? I, um, as a part of my duties as a minister of the gospel, I, I, I've been in those settings to try and bring the presence of Jesus to those folks that have just suffered uh, unbelievable loss and the tears that flow and the weeping and the broken heartedness and the sobbing and it may stop for a while and then it starts again and just grief it's a and you have to grieve at the loss 
And that's what Jesus is saying. Uh, hell is going to be a place of sobbing and weeping. What? Regret. Regret. Regret for those that knew the name of Jesus but didn't know him. They thought they knew him. They thought they were in. They thought, we're Jews. We're, we're privileged. We're, of course we're in. Only a few are going to be saved. We know the Jews are. We're safe. The Lord says, no. You didn't repent. You didn't press in. You didn't embrace. You didn't believe the gospel. In a simple prayer of faith, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Regret. Regret. I mean, the Lord said, didn't, didn't he? What's it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? The regret. Lord, I was climbing up a ladder and I found out too late it was against the wrong building. I gave my life to the wholly the wrong thing. The regret. And then the gnashing of teeth. What's that mean? Well, gnashing of teeth is, a, is, is anger and rage being expressed. Gnashing and grinding of teeth and anger that I'm here in this, in this place of torment and punishment. Horrible. I say be afraid. Be afraid as Jesus tells of the terribleness of hell. It's horrible. And it must be horrible because only the Lord could tell us and must be horrible because as he's moving toward his point with destiny, the cross, he increasingly is calling people to repentance and faith. That now is the time. And here he's saying, will you make it through the one and only door while you still have time? Because it's closing, and once it's closed, it's closed. This door into God's house, or what we call heaven or the kingdom. And finally, be surprised. He ends in 29 and 30. Last lesson here is Jesus tells of those who will be in heaven. Verses 29. And people will come from the east and the west and north and the south and recline. There's an international banquet, you see. Uh, at a table, eating in, in the kingdom of God. And, and uh, behold, some who are last will be first and first will be last. And uh, uh, be surprised, I say. Be surprised, first of all, uh, when you see the ones that are there in heaven. I mean, that uh, in itself is, uh, <laughs> you probably, I'm surprised I'm there. You know, you might be walking down around the streets of glory and go like, I can't believe it, pinch me. I can't, I can't, I'm here. Oh, I can't. God saved a sinner, a worm such as mine. You know, they say we don't sing that worm anymore because uh, it hurts people's self-conscience and, their, and, their, and it hurts their feelings or self-esteem. But uh, having said that, we're all worms, right? Amen. <laughs> I'm here. And you're like, he made it. I, 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 knew, I thought he might. Nah, I wasn't sure. You know, like, <laughs> he was in the grace. Of, he died in faith. Wow. They're there. And that's, that's what he's saying. And he's saying to this, to Jew, he's saying, like, you have great privilege. And you're thinking just the few Jews will be in heaven? No, 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 no. In fact, if you don't repent, you won't be there. And in fact, God is electing people from all over the world through the generations. The East and the West. Incidentally, uh, most of us uh, circle West because that's where I am and that's where you are, unless you came from somewhere else, the West. And God is calling out a people to come and be a part of his house and his kingdom. And we're, we're the, it's the one gospel for the whole world for all time. 
will come and join him at this international banquet that he is serving. The banquet and, and picture us the joy and the blessing of being in the presence of God. We're going to eat and dine with God, the Bible says, as God's telling us. Wow, won't that be something? Don't you wonder what the food is going to be like in heaven? I mean, are we going to always have filet mignon with, yeah, I like a little of that Maryland crab on top. And, that's, and, 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 and uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I, I don't know if we're going to have to work out there. Yeah, I just overdid it. going to have to work out a little bit more. <laughs> but eating and the pleasure that's associated, isn't that pleasurable? I mean, it could have been just Shackley pills. Take your pills every day. That's all you get. You know, I don't get the bite into an apple. Apple pie, no ice cream. No turkey and all the dressings? Oh, I love cran. No, just take your shackley. You know, <laughs> and God gave us taste buds. And just think of the glory of heaven. Our taste buds are going to be fully redeemed. Wow, I didn't know it tasted this good. You know, <laughs> it's a banquet of the joy. It's a glimpse of the joy and the wonder of dwelling with God and eating and fellowship and serving him all our days. That's what you, and only Jesus could tell us about this. Only he could do that. You see, the Jew thought uh, that it was going to be that. And Jesus closed the verse, and Jesus tells that the, the first shall be last. The first shall be last. I, I love that verse. I used to uh, rip it out of context and quote that in school because teachers always seat you alphabetically. I was always in the back, and I was, always, I was the last to graduate in my class, every class, and uh, I go, well, you know what the Bible says, what's that? I, I tell them, well, the last shall be for <laughs> And like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, I ripped that out of context. That's not what that means. And what he means here is the, the Jews were privileged, and they seem to have the quality of, of that privilegedness in hearing the gospel, but those that are far removed and far away, people you would never imagine, you'd say, oh, they're last. Um, they're, God's going to elect them and have them part of his family. Isn't that great? That's really the point there. And then not only that, he's talking, I think, also about being surprised at who's at in heaven and in the kingdom. Uh, I think we'll be surprised at who's honored. You know, like we like to honor our heroes, you know, bigger, better, best, the American way, right? If it's big, it's got to be great. Not so. Not so. And we might be absolutely flabbergasted at the humble servant, the Sunday school teacher who labored uh, faithfully for the Lord for all those years and the honor that she receives or the one who gave a cup of water all the time behind the scenes I mean helping the needs being Jesus to whoever and the honor and the privilege and the uh, commensurate responsibilities they'll be I think we're going to be surprised we're going to go like wow not it's not just going to be a lineup of all the Billy Grahams look at them there right you know what I mean it isn't I mean, they'll have, God will sort all that out, and the Lord will sort it, and they'll be like, wow, that missionary and far of that had very little fruit, and they served 40, 50 years, and, and like, oh, they're, they're so honored because they served Jesus. Like that. And the Lord will evaluate them. We'll go like, wow. Well, they certainly weren't the, and when I thought of the top 10, they, they weren't even on the chart, and they're there, and look at that. So be encouraged by that. God knows that, keeps the books, and will honor. Well, the wrong question. Are only going to be a few? Well, not really. We're not going to answer that. Will you? Will you be saved? 
Let's look at our lessons for life. Number, number one, let me say to you, do whatever you, uh, you have to to understand the gospel and be saved. Do whatever you have to do it. I pray that the Lord uh, takes sweep away from you if you're not saved, you're not sure about it. Don't delay until God has given you the deep assurance. And it's the Spirit of God that gives you assurance in your heart that you're His. It's not someone patting you on the head and said, you prayed, you're going to have doubts, but don't believe it. No, it's the Lord who gives you assurance that you belong to Him. Read, read your Bible, study it, read, pray, listen to sermons, teaching, and uh, show up for the, for, for the message. I always love John MacArthur. He said, I got to deal with my kids, right? And he said, how about your kids? He said, well, we got a deal. They show up at my sermon. I show up at their game. <laughs> I like that as a dad and a pastor. Keep showing up. Keep listening. Lord, Lord, open my heart. Let me understand the gospel. Do whatever you have to. Number two, beware all other promising doors lead to destruction. You say, well, now my pastor told me that. Well, I'm telling you what Jesus said. I'm just passing it on. All other doors. There's one door. Quarter, a thousand doors in America. One door. And the Lord said, it's not like, oh, you can't miss it. No, you can miss it. You can. Find the one narrow door and press through it. Find Him, Jesus. He is the door. Number three. Know that hell is a horrible place. It's a horrible place. Warn your loved ones. I remember that Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan's, so oftentimes uh, it was said, and flee the wrath that is to come. That was the message. Flee the wrath that is to come. There was a generation that knew that what that meant a whole lot more than our day. Flee the wrath. It's a horrible place. You don't want to go there. Number four, it's not enough to associate with Christ in Christian things. Showing up at worship and being involved here and there. It's not enough. It's not enough. These Jews are very religious. Not enough. Still be on the outside. Door's still open. Today is the day of salvation. You must personally receive him as your Lord and Savior. Or you're still on the outside. It's not, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but I'd rather hurt your feelings and let you know the truth so that you'll be at that international banquet when we eat up in the presence of Christ. I want to look across the table and see you there. You know, as a pastor's heart and a shepherd's heart, I'm going to be counting my sheep. Where are they? Where? 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 I want you and you, every one of you there. Add to my joy. Number five and last, as a servant of Christ, and you are if you know him, strive to be faithful. Faithfulness is the highest measurement. Not numbers, not dollars, not talents. These are okay in their place. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. God has given you gifts and abilities. Be faithful. Be faithful. Faithfulness is highly valued by the Lord Jesus, and in that day, you'll be rewarded by Him. Faithful. Faithful in the smallest of things. In fact, you need to be. Because if you're, the, Jesus said, if you're not faithful in the small things, you'll never, never be faithful in the bigger things. 
Incidentally, he considers money to be one of those little things. You can't be faithful in handling your stewardship of money, which is a little thing. How in the world should you ever be faithful in things that count for life in eternity? You'll never be. So be faithful. Be faithful. A dumb question? Well, I'll let you decide. Lord, only a few are going to be saved? Mm. He doesn't even answer, does he? Lord, help us. Father, thank you so much for this text. It really challenges us and warns us. And Lord, it reminds us of the wonder of salvation that is exclusively found in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, even right now that you might press upon hearts any that might be here and lost, that you would open their heart as they press in to understand the gospel and be saved. And I pray for us as we leave and as we go our various ways throughout this week that we'll be thinking about this, Lord, and, and burdened and concerned about our neighbors and family and friends and people we love and play with and work with and that we would, we would work on bringing Christ into their life. I pray for that, Lord. Use us as ambassadors for Jesus. And we'll thank you for the great and wonderful privilege. Help us, Lord. Help us to be faithful even in the smallest of things. In Jesus' name, amen.